This is the Chamber Chat Podcast, the show dedicated to chamber professionals to spark ideas and to get actionable tips and strategies to better serve your members and community. And now your host, he recently conducted an insightful chamber podcasting survey. He's my dad, Brandon Burton. Hello, Chamber Champions. Thank you for joining us today on Chamber Chat Podcast, where it's my goal to introduce you to people and ideas to better help you serve your Chamber members and your community. You're joining us today for another episode in our 2021 ACCE Chamber of the Year finalist series. And Chamber Chat Podcast is sponsored by Holman Brothers Membership Sales Solutions. Is your Chamber struggling to drive the revenue it needs to support your initiatives? It's a common problem, and one that our new title sponsor, Holman Brothers Membership Sales Solutions, knows a lot about. Doug and Bill Holman aren't just sales consultants, they're real-life chamber guys with 20-plus years of chamber leadership experience. They know how to diagnose and solve member recruiting issues faster and better than anyone else, and they're ready to put that knowledge to work for you and your chamber. Call the Holman Brothers today at 619 852 one three nine one, or check them out at holmanbros.com. That's H-O-L-M-A-N-B-R-O-S dot com. Our guest for this episode is Tom Baldridge, President and CEO of the Lancaster Chamber in Pennsylvania. And for those of you who are regular listeners of Chamber Chat, you'll know that Tom was on the podcast back, uh, you might not know the exact number, but it was episode 98. So if you want to go back and listen to his previous episode on adjusting business models, it was a fascinating discussion. But Tom has served as the president and CEO of the Lancaster Chamber since 2000. He received his CCE designation in 2008 from ACCE. The Lancaster Chamber was named Chamber of the Year by ACCE in both 2003 and 2013. Previously, Tom was president of the Lancaster Alliance, an organization focused on the revitalization of the city of Lancaster. Tom also served as executive vice president and director of government and public affairs at the Lancaster Chamber of Commerce and Industry, assistant to director of communications for the state of Pennsylvania and scheduling and coordinator and scheduling coordinator for Governor Dick Thornburg. Tom earned his bachelor's from Ithaca College and has completed graduate courses at Elmira College. He is a former chair of the board for ACCE and serves on the boards of several local organizations. Tom resides in Lancaster with his wife, Susan, and the couple has three grown children and four grandchildren. Tom, welcome back to Chamber Chat Podcast. I'm excited to have you back on the show with me today. If you would say hello to all the Chamber Champions, and I know I had you share something interesting about yourself before, but we'll we'll give you another stab at it this time. Thank you, Brandon. I uh, appreciate being invited back to your podcast. Uh, and hello, Chamber Champions uh, across the across the nation. Uh, I am honored to be in your presence as always. Uh, now you're surprising me again. Something interesting about me that I can't remember if I shared the last time or not, but I'm it's it continues, so I'm going to share it again. Uh, a friend of mine and I are hiking the Appalachian Trail in sections, uh, and we continue our, our journey. We're about 500 miles into a 2,100-mile ultimate hike, and we have covered New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Maryland, West Virginia, and we are now headed south in Virginia uh, and continuing to uh, take some weekend trips this summer to further that journey. We hope to be complete with the whole thing in the next seven years. 
I was going to ask, what is that? How does that chart course as far as when you anticipate to complete it and how do you break that up? <laughs> we will be done no later than seven years because my uh, friend that's joining me on it wants to be completed by the time he is 70. And we will be ending at Mount Katahdin in Maine with a glorious moment of of delight and beauty, we hope. <laughs> yes, it is a beautiful spot in Mount Katahdin. That's that's where my dad's side of the family is from, is northern Maine. Oh, that's so great. It's oh, a very nice. Beautiful place. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've never been. I've been to Maine and I love it. I've never been to Mount Katahdin. And I'm choosing to save that for that moment uh, yeah. when we stake our claim to finishing the Appalachian Trail. Yes, oh, that that's very interesting. So thank you. Um, share with us some more about the Lancaster Chamber to help give perspective as we get into our discussion today. So we're a countywide chamber uh, in in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which is about an hour to the uh, west of Philadelphia, and we uh, the county itself has about five hundred fifty thousand people in it. Our chamber has uh, thirteen hundred and fifty members operating at about a $2 million plus dollar budget. And, uh, you know, it, I guess maybe in these days, worth noting, we're a chamber only. Uh, we, we, aren't, we aren't the local EDC. We aren't the local tourism bureau, et cetera. We have all those things in Lancaster. We partner with them uh, in, a, in a great capacity, but we are a, we're chamber centric. Uh, and that kind of gives us a focus on what I believe chambers are all about. Yeah. And see, I love doing these interviews because you have the different types of chambers, right? Chamber centric, the ones that do economic development, tourism and all that. Um, So it's neat to get that perspective, especially as we get into our our topics for discussion today, which is going to focus around the the programs on your Chamber of the Year application that you guys submitted. Um, And I know, you know, one of those things is going to be the the recovery from COVID-19. So, I'm I'm interested to get into these topics with you and and see what other chambers listening can take from what you guys are doing and apply back to their local communities. And we'll get into that discussion as soon as we get back from this quick break. Are you looking for a year-round affordable and timely shop local campaign for your chamber or CVB? Look no further. Build a custom Eat Shop Play mobile app with App My Community by visiting appmycommunity.com slash chamberchat. App My Community mobile apps are not just simple membership directory listings. They provide many more capabilities to engage with your community. Provide your residents with a robust events calendar. Partner with a local fair, festival, or farmer's market to provide a schedule, map, and other resources to promote the event. Run a small business Saturday campaign any time of the year using built-in scavenger hunts. Allow your membership to communicate directly to their customers via push notifications. Your App My Community mobile app will be a unique member benefit, allow you to generate non-dues revenue with sponsorship opportunities, and best of all, provide a valuable resource to your community. Please visit appmycommunity.com slash chamberchat now to receive 10% off your first year of an App My Community mobile app. All right, Tom, we are back. Um, I'd love for you to, to just explain to us what the uh, the two programs were that you submitted on your Chamber of the Year application, and we can get into some detail, and, and I'm sure I'll have some follow-up questions that you can uh, you know tell us more about each of them. Thank you, Brandon. Uh, 
So for those that have not applied for Chamber of the Year, number one, I would encourage you because it's a it's an interesting process of self-reflection. Uh, uh, and and there's a certainly not just for the the leader, but for the entire team. And we we had a, we really enjoyed uh, working with our all of our staff to decide and then and then apply for the position or for the uh, award once we were uh, told we were invited to apply. The the two programs that we ended up picking were related one to the recovery and one to the racial unrest of 2020. Uh, the first one related to the recovery uh, through COVID was called Recovery Lancaster. It was a uh, a very collaborative program that the chamber had a key role in playing, but not the only role in playing. Uh, the program ultimately ended up distributing over $45 million in grants to companies in our community. We distributed more than 8,500 uh, kits of personal protective equipment to companies that enabled them to make safe uh, oh, almost 120,000 employees uh, within Lancaster County. Uh, we provided uh, tremendous resources with education and information around uh, everything COVID uh, as, as as the science continued to evolve and as, as people learned more and more about what was happening and how to recover. Uh, we were a, a tremendous source for business and business-based information for our local business community. Uh, and, and then we also just tried to make sure that we were doing all we could to keep the lines of communication open and spending, quite frankly, a fair amount of dollars in the communication effort to make sure that uh, the message of what we were sharing and the opportunities that we were providing to our local business community were uh, were made aware to, across all businesses. We The program itself was not a member exclusive program. And in fact, almost all of the programming that we did last year uh, beyond the Recovery Lancaster effort was, uh, was open to all uh, and for the most part free. Uh, ultimately, this was a collaboration that was led by our local economic development company, our county commissioners and the chamber and involved 150 volunteers in a variety of teams. And uh, really, we think enabled Lancaster County to weather the COVID storm better than many in terms of its ability to bring businesses uh, safely to the other side. So that was the one uh, program that we featured. The other program we featured was uh, in response to the murder of George Floyd uh, back in last the end of last May. Uh, the racial unrest was across the country and was certainly as well expressed in Lancaster. And we knew like most chambers out there that they needed to do something. Uh, we did, we issued a statement, which was easy enough to do, frankly, but uh, we wanted to make sure that that statement had some meaning. We've also launched a task force around uh, DE&I efforts internally at, the, at, this, at our organization with our staff and volunteers. Uh, on our platform in terms of how we can help businesses deal with these issues better across the county. And then more broadly, what the chamber's role is as an overall influencer. But the program itself that we applied for that we featured in the application was a program we called Words That Activate Change. It's a program uh, that was launched by one of our staff members, Tony Gorick, who wanted to give voice to uh, all the people in our community that might not otherwise get their stories told. So we invited initially uh, BIPOC, LGBTQ, uh, the disabled, uh, the elderly, veterans, 
uh, all sorts of uh, kind of sectors of our community. We invited them to write their stories, uh, share their stories. Some of them were personally based, some of them were more kind of opinion based, but it was a, it created uh, 14 articles of significant impact and meaning and created a lot of dialogue in our community uh, and has continued into uh, this year as well as a, as a means of trying to make sure that we're giving voice to those that uh, otherwise might not be heard and hopefully getting uh, a broader appreciation for people's journeys throughout our county. So I think the name of that program is intriguing, the words that activate change. Um, I, I can kind of delineate a, a meaning out of that, but what was the meaning behind that title as you guys came up with that? Well, the meaning was based on the fact that we needed to, we need to change. And uh, there's a lot of learning that needs to go on. And we felt that by uh, learning, reading, dialogue, uh, hearing other people's journeys was was a key element of how that change could come about. And so the notion of words that activate change was the idea that these columns would cause people to pause and reflect, and then ideally look for ways that they could adjust what they uh, were doing to better reflect uh, everybody in our community. Yeah. So share with us how you went about sharing those words that, that activate change. Um, you had talked about columns. Is there? How did you get their stories out there in the community? Well, it was it was mostly through a pretty aggressive social media push on all of our platforms, which are the traditional Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Uh, in did some things with it, and this is out of my expertise, but did some things with inviting sharing and hashtagging and et cetera, yeah. et cetera. So that so uh, to uh, fully leverage their their broad view. We also, uh, we have a quarterly publication that we call Thriving. Uh, that That's a magazine publication. We, uh, in each of those publications, we inserted uh, anywhere from four to six of the words that activate change in those publications as well. And then, and then frankly, we just invited uh, as much dialogue, active dialogue on, on social media as possible around, around the columns themselves and, and uh, solicited feedback that way. So I, I don't have the stats, unfortunately, in front of me on the numbers, but they were significant in both their sharing and their commentary. And say, I would imagine a story, uh, you know, with these kind of backgrounds would be the kind of thing that would get a lot of traction. It would, it would get shared. Uh, the people that are being, you know, highlighted are going to want to share it. People they know are going to want to share it. Uh, just kind of builds that snowball effect and uh, obviously helps get their story out and the perspective. Cause I think that's what so much of this is, is helping shed light on the perspective of different uh, people of different backgrounds. Um, but it also, you know, in a passive way, shines some light on the chamber too, for, for taking that step forward to, to showcase these individuals. Um, I think that's a, a neat experience. There. We were, we were, uh, yeah, it's not, I, I hate to, I don't know if this is the right thing to say exactly or not, but it's, it's a little risky because we, we were, uh, determined not to edit. Uh, so, you know, when you're inviting people to write and they have a free reign of what they can write, uh, you don't always know what you're going to get. But uh, I would say that if anything, I was surprised on the upside as the thought and the passion around some of those columns that were written and the sharing, the personal journeys that they shared. There was in many of them an element of professional journey, 
which was probably maybe more traditionally in the lane of the chamber and what we would be putting out there. But many of them leaned into their personal journeys as well, which I think had uh, a significant impact on, on some of the people that were reading. So I'm curious with the, I mean, social media can, can be a great tool. It can also be a minefield sometimes. So if you put a story out there that somebody doesn't agree with, um, how did you guys kind of keep tabs on comments and things like that, that might be negative leaning or, uh, even discourage disparaging towards those stories that are being told. Did you come across any of so that? So we, as a philosophy in general for the chamber, we try to be very, uh, we're very resistant to eliminate comments. Uh, so because we, we, there are, there are comments that can be critical of the chamber on anything, let alone the, mm-hmm. the words that they change series. And for the most part, we let it hang out there. Sometimes we'll respond publicly to it. Sometimes we won't. But uh, in this case, I guess I was surprised. I shouldn't say surprised. I was pleased on on the upside, too, that there was very, very little negative pushback. Uh, but but where hate is expressed, we do get rid of that. Yeah. So there there was some editing and some did have to happen, but it was very minimal. And in the scheme of things, it was much more on the upside than, than anything negative. Yeah, I would imagine so. I would imagine it would be on the upside. And I think we see more of that in society anyway, just trying to be inclusive, trying to make sure that we're, you know, trying to see the world through the lens of people who may be different than we are, see the world differently than we do. Um, you know, I think the other thing, I mean, this is a whole nother discussion, I think, quite yeah. frankly, Brandon, but the, you know, the, uh, the, the platforms that I mentioned generally are not anonymous. So, uh, but when yeah. sometimes with our newspaper and you can, you can weigh in on, a, on, on some newspaper columns and you can be more anonymous on those things, those things can get really nasty. And, uh, fortunately when people's names are attached to it, I think they're a little bit, a little bit more, <laughs> uh, circumspect about what they put out there. Yeah. I, I th- anyway, I all in that. all, it was a very positive experience. No, it sounds very intriguing and, and, uh, kudos to you guys for stepping up and taking that, that charge to help get those stories out in your community. That's awesome. Uh, as far as uh, Recovery Lancaster goes, do you have a, a you know an example or two of businesses that were directly affected, you know, some of these uh, success stories that you can share from the from making sure these businesses were taken care of financially and with PPP and and all those things? I think everybody can appreciate the fact that there was a ton of money out there last year uh, and and to try to target it where it was most needed was not necessarily uh, in the, in the interest of speed that didn't become necessarily the priority. So some companies got it that necessarily didn't need it. Some companies that needed it didn't get it. And there was all that. So one of the things that we did try to do, our, our County was fortunate uh, based on our size that we got $96 million in cares act funding straight to our County government. Uh, and what that enabled us to do is to work with the partner that I mentioned earlier, the Economic Development Company of Lancaster County, and approach our county commissioners with a plan that spent about $50 million of that 96 in an effort to uh, focus uh, aid to business. Uh, our county commissioners were very responsive to that request and very willing to be a partner in, in the program that we put together. So ultimately, uh, they approved that. And we set up a, a basically a steering committee made up of five subcommittees that uh, dealt with uh, uh, health and safety. Well, health, I'm sorry, safety and, and protocols, 
financing economic indicators because one of the things we wanted to do is be very active on tracking the economics of our community so that we could target and direct where we needed to. Uh, public health, and then finally communications. Uh, and those five task forces got about their work and all of them created different programs. The one that was perhaps the marquee of it was the one that distributed over $40 uh, million to uh, local businesses. Uh, they applied through a portal. They had to have lost at least 40% of their income over a certain amount of time. Uh, and uh, the average grant ended up being about $23,000 that, that companies got. There is no doubt, Brandon, that uh, some companies that received that money uh, would not have survived had they not had that little infusion of cash in addition to other sources that they might have been able to get. Uh, so we felt really good and we got a lot of very good responses from businesses about the difference that that made in their lives. Because it was so successful, we were able to ultimately do three different uh, offerings of this money. And that enabled us to, to adjust the dollar amounts and the priorities based on where the economy was at the time. So we did one in June where everybody was panicked and didn't know what was going on. We did one in September where there was a little bit more clarity around the haves and have nots and who was winning and who was losing. And then we did one in November that was even more targeted to those companies that were really at that point now facing a, a potentially very long winter based on the uh, spike in cases that was going on and trying to make sure that we could try to get them through to the uh, implementation of the vaccine. Yeah, I think that's smart how you guys spread that out and kind of in those phases to see as that as the needs were there over time. Um, I know there was a lot of money floating around out there. So a lot of money. And if we if we would have given it all away in June, I think we would have uh, that we would have regretted that in retrospect. So I, I was very pleased the way this fell out. And actually the third, for what it's worth, not worth much, but the third round was actually not initially expected, but the county commissioners had some additional dollars out of the 96 million. And they uh, invited us to set to do another fund because the first two had been so successful. All right. That's awesome. I love hearing those stories and, you know, chambers all over the country or have similar, you know, experiences of being able to be there um, for the support for their businesses. And, and like you said, it wasn't member exclusive. So the businesses through the community, not necessarily just members, but really showing how the chamber can show up and support them. I think that's no, I, I can just add that in the 20, so as you mentioned, I've been here since 2000 as the president. So uh, I have never been more inspired and uh, thrilled at the, at how this program came together the amazing dedication of our volunteers that, that all chipped in. Not a single one said, no, I don't want to participate. Every one of them said, I'm in, regardless of whatever business challenges that they were facing. And uh, the entire journey was exhausting, but incredibly inspiring in terms of its uh, uh, just watching it all happen and seeing the impact that it had in our community. Yeah, for sure. So I wanted to ask you, with you guys being a, a Chamber of the Year finalist, um, having won Chamber of the Year twice in the, the recent past. Um, what do you think it is about the Lancaster Chamber, about the, the way you guys do things that makes you stand out or, or sets you apart from maybe how other chambers might do things? And not necessarily to be you know braggadocious or anything, but you guys are doing something obviously to be noticed. And, and I'd love to get any, any tips that 
that you have that we can share with others? So I wish I could, I wish I could tell you there's this genius formula that we've worked out, but that that is not the case. What I, since my time here, what I have witnessed, and I say this with uh, incredible sincerity, just to be clear, is the community spirit of our business community in Lancaster County is unique. Uh, it is historic, and it is it is what I think makes the difference uh, for us as a chamber because we're simply tapping into that level of uh, energy and commitment to the community that our local businesses have. Next year, we're going to be 150 years old. Uh, and we're excited to celebrate our 150th anniversary. But the reality is we're going to turn the spotlight not on the chamber, but on the businesses that have enabled us to be around for 150 years, because that is the fuel, maybe the secret sauce in this case, in terms of what may, has made us able to stand out. Uh, it has been that what I find to be very rare and very unique level of commitment from our local business community. That now, having awesome. a yeah. hell of a staff, and an amazing engaged board doesn't hurt, but on the whole, it's been the level of involvement of our business community. Yeah, and I think it it supports each other too. Having the staff and the board that are are so you know effective and uh, supportive, that gets the business community on board to see what the chambers do, and it it just it's reciprocal, it goes back and forth. So. Um, you guys are doing something right. So if we can just tap into that secret sauce. <laughs> well, we are, we're, we're, we're going to keep trying too. Uh, you know, one of the things that was great about last year, if that's the right word to use is, is great, is that, uh, and I think chambers across the country kind of learned this about themselves. Uh, when there was a crisis, the chamber had a role to play in its community. The vast majority of them stepped up and filled that role in their community. And I am hoping as a lifelong chamber professional, that this kind of puts to bed this question about relevancy of a chamber, uh, and but rather sharpens the notion of how relevant the chamber is uh, and how we can now maybe look to the future with ensuring that the, 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 response, the emergency response that we shared with our community and provided is now an expectation and that the chamber now has other key roles to play currently, uh, perhaps most significantly in the workforce space. But uh, I wouldn't eliminate DE&I as another critical space for uh, chambers, as well as this evolving expectation of business in a community in terms of what are you doing about climate change? What are you doing about DE&I? What are you doing about fair wages? I mean, there uh, more and more communities are putting expectations on businesses, and that is a new level of responsibility that I think chambers can help businesses uh, navigate as we look to the future. That so I'm hoping a, everything about the relevancy of a chamber is put to bed <laughs> and we live into this new expectation in a way that really uh, portends well for our future. So that was going to be one of the questions I was going to ask you is looking forward in the future. And, and I don't know if you could answer it any better than you just did is uh, putting to bed. <laughs> well, then that, let's just leave it at that. <laughs> that's right. Putting, putting to bed the idea of, you know, are chambers relevant and rather how relevant are you? And, and, uh, answering some of those questions, helping navigate those waters for the businesses, I think is, it is going to be key going forward. It's key right now. Um, what might be one tip or strategy that you could offer to, to listeners out there that they can take to their chamber and, and help lift their organization up to the next level? I'm going to say two, if I could. Uh, so one will be 
creating a staff culture and a work environment that is uh, that enables you to get the best and the brightest, and uh, and then enables you to get the most out of the people that are working with you. So it, uh, I think, it ultimately, if you don't have staff to imagine, create, and execute, uh, you, you won't be a successful chamber. And I think that's critical and is in so many ways, probably step one is to create that culture. And I think we need to rethink those cultures because those cultures now I think have to engage in acceptance of a hybrid model of a workplace. Mm. And uh, that that does have an impact on the culture, but I think there's a way to redefine it positively so that everybody wins as a result of that. So that's that's my first thought. Uh, the second thing, and it's somewhat based on the COVID experience, but it's also something that I have always believed. Uh, chambers should uh, not necessarily uh, always hold back and ask for permission. I think they should take the presumptive close and just do things. I think sometimes uh, some chambers, including our own, kind of sit and wait and wonder if we should or shouldn't do something and then wonder who we have to ask for permission to do it. And I think more and more, based on what I've just said earlier about the expectations of the broader business community, chambers need to just own some of this stuff and lean into it and execute on it without asking for uh, necessarily permission from whoever might be the person you need to ask permission for. So those two things, I think, are part of what will position people well for the future. And we can dive down rabbit holes on both of those two tips. Yes, we can. <laughs> great, great topics. Um, and I think the the way to, don't wait for permission is is key. And, and he said it it kind of you know stems out of the COVID experience because chambers had to act quickly, and if they didn't act quickly, then they weren't relevant. And we we got to figure out a way. And and sometimes waiting for that permission, a chamber may need you know all their board to get on on board <laughs> with uh, giving that permission. Sometimes they need that buy-in from the community or they feel like they need the buy-in from the, the business community. And there are certain things as you're pointing out that it's okay to just own and, and move quickly. I mean, just have that be your domain and, and move and, and own that. So, I so think that's can I just important. say as a son of a history professor, I, I, I have off, I often have historical references to these things. And yeah. here's, here's the, here's the reference I use to this kind of presumptive close that people might, might resonate with people. When uh, the founders of this country signed the declaration of independence, one third of the country wanted independence. One third of the country wanted to stay with England and one third of the country could care less one way or another. And yet these people sat down and signed this document that said, we're a free nation. Uh, who the hell did they ask? They, I mean, they just did it. And look what happened. And the, and the, you know, the future of the world was changed as a result of it. That's the type of kind of don't wait for permission moment that crystallizes, I think, uh, the opportunities for the chambers moving forward. Uh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so it, it makes me think of, you know, all men are created equal. You know, and if you have, you know, some kind of mission at your chamber that you firmly believe in, that that is your DNA as to, to what your organization is, nobody can change that, right? So just like the, the statement of all men are created equal, these founding fathers, they, they believe that. And if only a third of, of the, uh, the colonists at the time 
wanted independence, it didn't matter at their core belief. And, right. and now that idea that all men are created equal, that is what drives freedom across the world now. Um, based on the the bravery that that these men had to, to although to be clear, that. we now embrace all people are created equal. Yes, so let's, yes, uh, let's yeah, yeah, yeah. Making that exactly, exactly. Okay. Very good, Tom. Um, well, I wanted to give you an opportunity to put out any contact information for anyone that's listening that'd like to connect with you and learn more about what you guys are doing there at the Lancaster Chamber. What would be the best way for them to reach out and connect? Best way is to uh, reach out to me by email, and that is T Baldridge. Unfortunately, Baldridge is always misspelled, so I'm going to spell it. Uh, it is T, as in Tom, T Baldridge, B A L D R I G E, at lancasterchamber.com. We're a .com, not a .org, like a lot of chambers. Very so, good. T Baldridge at lancasterchamber.com. I am happy to talk to anybody further about what I've discussed today. That's perfect. I will get that in our show notes for this episode, which will be found at chamberchatpodcast.com slash episode 137. But Tom, it's been a pleasure to visit with you again on the podcast. I'm happy to have you back here again. You always have good value nuggets that you drop. And uh, hopefully chambers listening can can learn something from you and, and apply it back to their their chambers locally. Brandon, thanks for having me. And thank you for what you're doing to kind of spread the word about chambers in general. I, I really appreciate the, uh, the energy that you put behind making sure we stay connected to best practices. So thank you. If you are a chamber professional, please subscribe to Chamber Chat Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. When you subscribe to Chamber Chat Podcast, new episodes will show up in your podcast app each week as they are released. If you're finding value in this podcast, please leave us a rating and a review in iTunes. But most importantly, please share Chamber Chat Podcast with your colleagues that are in the industry. Hey, this is Izzy, publisher of the Chamber Pros Planner, a weekly monthly planner that you can get on Amazon or Etsy. I wanted to give a shout out to Diane Sawyer of the Reedsville Chamber, who emailed me saying, I am loving this stuff. My admin assistant bought me the planner for Christmas before I could purchase it for myself. The responses and feedback I get from my fellow chamber pros are a big deal to me and impact the updates I make each year. If you like physical planners, please check out the 2022 Chamber Pros Planner at theizzywest.com. That's the I-Z-Z-Y-W-E-S-T.com.